It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. It is Friday, December 29th, 2023. This is another edition of Football Today. You know that dude. Bobby Skinner from the Talking Giants world. I am Chris Rose. Producer Mikey along for the ride as well. Do I have a little extra smile today? Do I? Yeah, it looks like you really enjoyed the Pop-Tart Bowl last night. Yes, I did. Well, I don't think I'll ever get through that trophy presentation again. I'll never look at a Pop-Tart the same way. So I stayed for the trophy presentation, mm-hmm. and I was a little upset because I, you know, I was there, right? And I was like, I want to stay for the trophy presentation, everything. Um, it helps that there's no traffic, you know, leaving the Camping World Stadium in Orlando. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'm waiting for these cats to start biting the mascot, right? Like, I figured... Like, maybe he'd go put a new costume on because it'd be tough to walk around edible. So he just goes in the toaster, and they just put out a giant Pop-Tart out. So I thought they were actually going to take bites off of the mascot like while he was walking around. Wait a second. You wanted them to actually sink their teeth into a live mascot? Yeah, well, not his actual, you know, flesh and bones, but, like, the outer parts of it, you know? Well, I mean, isn't that kind of what we got when they, you know, reproduced a new edible Pop-Tart? No, because there's no mascot in there. It's just a it's just a giant okay. pop tart with some eyes on it. Mm-hmm. I need I need I needed the mask. I was really I was just sitting there waiting. Like when are they going to start taking chomps at this guy? Okay, uh, our Thursday nights were a little bit different. That's all I can say. <laughs> uh, let's talk a little bit about these guys, the Cleveland Browns. Uh, their magical ride continued last night as they officially clinched a playoff berth for just the third time since they came back into the league in 1999. Joe Flacco did it again against one of his old teams in the New York Jets. Another 300-yard passing game. On a scale of 1 to 10, what is the shock factor out of the Flacco story? I'd say like a 7 or 8, right? Because he did start last year for the Jets, and he surely wasn't good, but he wasn't like, you know, wasn't like worst starter in the league type stuff. Um, it probably was their best, their best starter, um, you know, over over Zach Wilson, and then I, did he get hurt? I, I can't remember why they went to Mike White over Joe Flacco, but they did. Um, it's just that like Kevin Stefanski's always been a good offensive coach. Just needed someone mm-hmm. to like be halfway accurate, and Flacco still got that. But yeah, it, it is shocking. Um, but I'm I'm not shocked that this team is good with like even just competent quarterback play. Yeah, I mean, I think. Part of the shock value, which is why I would put it at like eight or nine. Like, I remember the morning after the Baltimore game, uh, Browns fans were feeling great, right? Deshaun Watson had completed every pass in the second half, and they came from behind to edge Baltimore on a last-second kick. And so the Browns were like, oh, my God, like Watson's turned the corner. This is it. They're pointing in the right direction, even without Nick Chubb, even without some other personnel. They feel like, oh, my God, Watson is here. And I started getting texts the minute I woke up that, oh, my God, Watson's out the season, the whole bit. And I was like, oh, my God, this is it. Like, you know, we had been yanked. The the chain had been yanked. We were all marching in the same direction. Then this happens. And then you're like, okay, well, DTR, P. 
PJ Walker, like what? And then you heard these rumblings that they were working out Joe Flacco. And I was like, what? Like out of all the guys we're going to work out Joe Flacco. And this is incredible. I, I mean, I dare I say that outside of his postseason 2012 run, that this is the best we have ever seen. And this is without minicamp. This is without training camp. This is without one preseason rep. Anything. Throwing the ball to his his old man and his brother and his kids. And this is it? Like, it really is incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think Joe Flacco back in the day got overrated because of the Super Bowl and then in turn became underrated because it kind of became a joke to like, you know, mm-hmm. is, is Joe Flacco elite? Like, no, he wasn't elite, but he was a pretty damn good quarterback for right. – a lot of years in Baltimore, we forget that. But hey, he he got old. Denver was a was a mess, um, and then went went to the Jets after that. Uh, I just I, you know, I said it halfway through. I'm like, I really believe in this Browns team with Watson, right? Not because I don't think Watson's playing good, but it's like at least there's like capable quarterback play inside of him as long as he can stop screwing up. And I know Flacco's thrown his hand, his you know his fair fair share of interceptions mm-hmm. with the Browns so far. But we've also seen him, you know, turn it up in the playoffs, right? Like he was always kind of an interception guy. And then that that Super Bowl run, I don't think he threw a single one. Yeah, um, so they can get that offense dialed in. I mean, no Amari Cooper last night, too. Uh, you know, David Njoku looks like a top five tight end in the NFL since Joe Flacco showed up, which I think has been huge for them. Uh, they to me, they are. They are just as much a Super Bowl contender as any team in the AFC, not named the Ravens. And they beat the Ravens. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they might be, they're definitely a, uh, at least a half step behind the Ravens. But, you know, in 60 minutes of football, you never know. I will say this before we move on. I think Kevin Stefanski has done an incredible job. And for a franchise that has changed head coaches and personnel people, the way most people go through t shirts, it has been nothing short of remarkable what he has done. He has added a, a calming influence. I, I know a lot of people felt like he was on the hot seat going into this year, that they wanted to give him a full season with Deshaun Watson and see if that offense would work and everything. But he has pushed all the right buttons. There has been no panic. I mean, you heard the guys, you heard Herb Street talking about it last night in the game. They're starting their fourth and fifth tackles. They are getting a ton of play out of their fourth and fifth safeties. They're missing a ton of rotational pieces on their defensive line. They were without their top receiver. Then they lost Elijah Moore halfway through that game. They haven't had Nick Chubb for 97% of the season. And somehow they've continued to not only win, but beat good teams along the way. And I just think it shows you that, man, I I know this league is built about depth, but it's getting guys to believe and looking them in the eye during training camp and saying, hey, you might not think that you're going to help us, but you are going to help us at some point. The biggest thing you just mentioned to me is the, the tackles, right? Like, I don't think people realize how big of a deal that is to not only lose your starting tackles, and, you know, it's not like, you know, Jedrick Wills was setting the world on fire or anything, but to get, like, your backup, like, Dewan Jones looking good, to get your backup backups tackles played, like, that's – it's hard to find starting tackle mm-hmm. play in the NFL, and they've been able to operate offense, and I think that's, like, the sign of a coach being able to scheme around bad offensive line play. Um, and it's a credit to Bill Gall- Callahan, best yep. offensive line coach uh, in the game, probably. Yep, I would agree. All right, let's move on to this weekend's action. We talked a little bit about the Ravens. They had that huge Monday night win in San Francisco. Well, now they can wrap up the one seed when they take on the Miami Dolphins, who still have their eyes on the one seed as well. 
Uh, after thrashing San Francisco on Monday night, does Miami stand a chance against Baltimore in this one? Yep, yeah, we come away from that week thinking about like the big Baltimore win, but you forget Miami had a nice big win over over the Dallas Cowboys. Mm-hmm. The teams that have given Miami the most struggles, their offense have been teams that like have you know safeties and linebackers who you can trust, who you can move around, throw different looks. And my gosh, what are the Baltimore Ravens on defense? If not that, you have Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen, who are both you know great in the run and coverage. You have Kyle Hamilton, who's the ultimate chess piece, who was like made for these matchups versus these type of offensive coordinators. I, I, this is the toughest test for the Mike McDaniel offense all year long, like more so than Matt Milano and the Buffalo Bills in, in that early matchup. This is the toughest test. You got a full season worth of film. You are playing for you know a. A division championship to play Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, and Kyle Hamilton, and all the other cats they have on defense. This is a this is a big big game for Mike McDaniel and the Dolphins. So Baltimore's won nine of its last ten games, and in that span, the Ravens are putting up nearly thirty one points a game, and only giving up right around seventeen points per game. So they are taking it to a lot of good teams. Um, it's going to be really interesting because Miami's number one in terms of scoring. Uh, points per game, yards per game, and Baltimore is number one in terms of points per game allowed and sacks and turnovers. So I think we're going to just be focusing on that. I think if Miami wins, the only way they're going to do that is if their defense continues to play well. And it has played great. Since week 11, they're allowing like 14 points per game, or even less than that. Um, and it's that's even better than Baltimore, which, as I just mentioned, is number one in terms of points per game allowed this year. So if they're able to bottle up Lamar, and I don't think they're going to be able to because he always breaks away for one or two or three plays. I mean, last year he thrashed him in that huge come-from-behind Miami win, but he was having a remarkable day uh, against the Dolphins. So I think a lot of this is on Miami's defense. I think that out of the four units on the field, they're the least talked about, and I think it's the one where – they're going to have to get something done because I think McDaniel will be able to scheme something against these Ravens. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what Vic Fangio, you know, who's one of the you know better defensive coordinators mm-hmm. in the NFL, um, been, been consistent that way. Like you have to play discipline versus Lamar and the Ravens, but even if you don't, even if you you know you do play discipline, they have guys that can go above and beyond. Uh, but I don't think you'll. Like so, some of the 49ers issues this year, like they have a lot of talent on defense. They can be a little undisciplined and you could take advantage, whether it's, you know, Chase Young, you know, rushing too too deep, or you know, Halfunga getting a little too aggressive and getting guys out of place. Where Vic Fangio's gonna not gonna have that, right? Like that discipline is that or that defense is all about discipline. Uh, but to me, I just you have good play callers on both sides of the ball. And to me, I, I think the talent wins out and you I mean you have you have the to me Lamar's a much better quarterback than Tua without even trying to disrespect Tua uh like who's who's gonna go who's gonna go against these well-structured defenses that have talent to me it's gonna be Lamar and the Ravens defense has more talent than the Dolphins yeah and the thing about Lamar and we've talked about this we did at least earlier in the week was that he could end up winning the MVP with some pretty mediocre quarterback numbers in today's games but at the end of the day, you are going to remember between three and five plays of his every game, and particularly in marquee games like this one. He could just, whether it's a 12-yard scramble, whether it's a play where he keeps play alive, 
and gets rid of the ball like he did against the Jaguars on that Sunday night football where Smoot is like looking at him. He's like, my God, I had you, and you still were able to keep the play alive and get it to Isaiah Likely. You know, that's what he does. That is the difference maker. And um, I expect it to happen again, and I think the Ravens will wrap up the one seed, and, you know, the following Sunday will be meaningless for for several teams, including the Ravens. Do you do you believe this game's going to be tight? Um, the Ravens have blown teams out. It's kind of... I think that it could end up double digits, but I think it would be tighter than that, meaning like a late score that pushes it to 10. Right. That's what I think. Yeah. And you you brought up a good, but you did bring up good points about that Miami defense. Like they, because they don't really have like the star players that you really think of in the NFL and Jalen Phillips got hurt. Mm-hmm. They have been really good. And I think a lot comes from their safety play, like Javon Holland, like him and Vic Fangio is a, a great fit. I was really just looking good. it up EPA per play since week 10. Dolphins are number one, which is mm-hmm. kind of shocking. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So even though they're they have talent, but they're not they're not a team of castoffs. But you don't have like those star star pass rushers or the guys that you really think of. All right, let's move on to what was the biggest story, at least off the field, this week in the NFL, which is that Russell Wilson is moving off of the field. He will not be the starting quarterback the last two games. Jared Stidham is going to get the call for the Broncos this weekend against the Los Angeles Chargers. Uh, Sean Payton did have a press conference, and he said, yeah, economics are part of it, but really it's about winning games. So there's a couple of things I want to focus on, but let's start with looking forward because it's you know there's a report by Diana Rossini of The Athletic that Russell Wilson expects to be released by March, and so he's going to find a new home. How much of a market is there for Russell, and wherever he lands, are we still talking about a Super Bowl-caliber quarterback at this point? I don't think we are. Like we're just he's not anymore, right? Like he's it hasn't been even though the box score statistics are pretty good, you know, for Russell Wilson. Like you watch him, like this is this is not consistently good quarterback play, right? It's a lot of times Russ will create his own pressure, um, and then he, now he still throws like a nice nice deep ball, like right. So they'll throw the ball to deep to Cortland Sutton five times a game and, and convert on some of those, but like there's no chemistry with some of the other receivers. I don't think he's a Super Bowl QB despite the fact that the way that the Broncos have went about this to me is very shady and weird. What way? Well, one, they are still in the playoff hunt, and Russell Wilson is a better quarterback than Jared Stidham. Like, that that, that much is clear. And there's reports that they've been threatening him to, to bench him for, like, months if he doesn't waive his, you know, his injury uh, settlement part of his part of his contract. Like, that's... To me, that's really fucking shitty to do to a quarterback who you've got starting week in, week out, and having just, you know, that no vote of confidence that, like, hey, we are going to cut you after the year. We even if you kind of think it might happen, like it, it that that doesn't breed anything well. That's that that's going to breed uh, like hate within the two. And it's I'm I'm shocked that they've been able to have the success they have with with the way that this has all went down. I think to some degree. Um that they have swayed the public opinion in the direction of Russell Wilson. And I don't think that Russell is everybody's cup of tea. I don't think he's immensely popular uh, in the NFL world amongst players. And I I think he's maybe, maybe he's fine among players, right? I mean, you always heard 
the rip up in Seattle, particularly with the defensive players and Pete Carroll treating him with kid gloves and all, all of that sort of stuff. But I think that the public perception of Russell Wilson is, yeah, right? He says some stuff where you're like, really? Like, are we buying all this stuff that comes out of his mouth? Is it genuine? Is it not? Some people say it's that's exactly who he is, and some people say it isn't. Um, but I think the pressure is now on Sean Payton, and it should be. There are some people that have been very critical of the way that he has gone after Russell Wilson from day one with his public comments, uh, then attacked him on the sidelines. People have to remember a few things. Who did Sean Payton learn from? Who was Oh, the, Parcells. Yeah, who was his mentor? Bill Parcells, people aren't going to know this, Go back and look at the 1980s on the New York Giants sideline. It was almost a weekly occurrence where he and Phil Simms, the quarterback, were yelling at each other. And although Phil Simms wasn't as talented as Russell Wilson, he was a Super Bowl winning quarterback and a Super Bowl MVP winning quarterback at that. So that's where Sean Payton learned it, right? Kids learn the behavior from their parents. I think that's a little bit where Sean Payton may have learned this stuff. Was it a bad look a couple weeks ago in Detroit when he yelled at Russell Wilson? Yeah, but to me, like, that stuff happens. Like, when guys yell at each other in the dugout in the baseball world or on the sidelines in the NFL world, I don't, I'm not like, oh, that's so disrespectful. Like, that's the heat of the battle. And if you're not happy, and by the way, if Russ wanted to yell back at his coach, go ahead, yell back at his coach. It used to happen a lot more. People say, well, that could never happen. Well, it used to happen. So if you want to yeah. go do it, go do it. I don't, I don't mind that. My issue with the Peyton on this is like not the yelling or whatever. Even though we never really truly figured out what that was, I, the right. thing that the only oh, thing that made Sean sense Payton was that said, he, said that he snapped the ball business. too quickly or, or without letting them review. Um, what'd you say? Sorry, I didn't hear you. I, I said that because uh, Sean Payton wouldn't answer the question. Somebody asked him, "Hey, what was that all about?" And he said, "Well, it's none of your business." So whatever. It's to me. It's just like you threatening to bench your quarterback not because of his play but because he wouldn't wait like that's that's fucked right like that's the you you guys gave i know sean payton didn't give him that contract but like the denver broncos gave mm -hmm. him that contract and to threaten the guy to you know you're gonna bench him for that um and and you know what no one forced you to come coach here sean payton you always knew you were gonna have to deal with this year one like i i don't like that at all um and i think sean payton who was what I loved about him in the media is he was very willing to be open, but I feel like now he's kind of, I don't, I don't know what the deal is exactly. I still think he's a good coach, but he, um, he needs to get his quarterback in there and get him in there quick, or it's all going to go downhill. Well, this is the thing. Now all the pressure is on Sean Payton and it should be, by the way, he lucked into Drew Brees, right? The Miami Dolphins wouldn't pass him on a physical in 2006. And so Never he forget. ended up in and so he ended up in New Orleans, right? And the that marriage was perfect. So people were like, "Well, of course he can work with Russ. He's the same size as Drew Brees." When like, there's the opposite quarterbacks, the only thing similar totally. is their size. So, you know, good luck going to find a quarterback. Good luck because you're you're, you know, maybe you could trade up and go get the guy you want, but it's not 100% certain. Or go get somebody in free agency? Like, is that going to be 100% certain that you're going to find your guy? So for the first time in his career, Sean Payton has to go find somebody without lucking into him like he did with Drew Brees. Now, once he got Drew Brees in the building, I will give Sean Payton and Drew Brees all the credit. But let's not act like he said, okay, uh, Drew Brees is my target. Nobody else wanted him. He was coming off of that shoulder injury. So it worked out. 
here. I'm not so sure it's going to work out. They have given Sean Payton the keys to the car. They had traded a first-rounder for him. Let's see what you got. Yeah, it's – I just can't – I can't get over the – for Brett threatening him for weeks. I, but here's where I, I want to find out more, though, is because you talked about Russell Wilson not being maybe the most well-liked – is and we saw last year as front and center how much the team was annoyed with him. Mm-hmm. Is are they still that way to where you know they're like, what the hell was Peyton doing threatening to him? Or are they kind of relieved that hey, we don't have to deal with you know Russell Wilson being our quote unquote leader? Well, neither one of us are in that Broncos locker room, nor do we cover them on a daily basis. But I will say this: having been around the sport, and you've been around the sport. Players want to win. So even if you're an a-hole or not the most well-liked person in the building, if you are better than the guy that they are replacing you with, that's not going to sit well, particularly when it comes to money and stuff. Like players, those guys are laying their asses on the line every week for an organization. And if they don't feel like the organization is making the best decision to put them in position to win, how do you think that's going to sit with those guys? Especially when you're in playoff contention too, like they are, they are not mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, even though they're probably eliminated. Yeah, I mean, it's not. There's a lot of shit that has to go right for the Broncos to even stay into it into Week 18. But is Sean Payton like talking about like, hey, we got to, you know, we we got some, you know, is he telling them we still have something to worth fight for, or is he telling them, hey, we're we're basically out of this, we're making this decision now? There's no way. There's. So I, I just did that uh, that Vikings-Bengals game with Jason McCourty, and I was having lunch with him, and we were talking a little bit about the Browns' 0-17 season, 0-16 season that he was a part of. And he goes, I'm going to tell you something. I love the vibes in Cleveland. I love the guys. He goes, there was some stuff that was really screwed up, but there wasn't one week where I felt like we couldn't win. And... We knew what they were trying to do, but there wasn't one week where we felt as players that we weren't going to get a W. So there's no way that the Broncos players, this is the way fans think, but players can't afford to think that way, that they're Mm -hmm. looking ahead to next year and all that sort of stuff. Because A, they don't know if they're going to be on that team, and B, when you're putting your livelihood on the line, we know that it could end with any snap. You can't play football that way. You know that. Especially for guys who are like impacted, like statistically, like you know, those stats get pulled up in every contract negotiation. Mm-hmm. The guys that are playing for free agent deals or whatever down the line. It's huge for them. So again, that's like I, I would love. Maybe I should have looked up some Denver insiders, even though that feels like a team that kind of has all their reporters bought and paid for. Uh, I- like, what does the locker room actually feel like in there? Because I I would feel pretty disrespected if Sean Payton comes in and admits that he's benching the quarterback because of money. We'll have to wait for the uh, 30 for 30 in a few seasons on that one. All right, let's move on. Um, There are several 8-7 and teams in the AFC. Which one has the most on the line this weekend? Well, first off, I want to ask you, do you think it's weird that we still call them 30 for 30s when originally it was 30 documentaries for 30 years of ESPN? Uh, I, I didn't remember that until you just brought it up. So I would answer. But I, no. I feel like you had to once people, because those were so well liked that you had to keep them. Anyways, <laughs> the Houston Texans, man, I want to see CJ Stroud in the playoffs. 
Like it's simple as it's simple as that. I don't need to go any deeper. The Texans, you know, their left tackle, Lamry Tones. I just want to see TJ Stroud in the playoffs. He's done well against playoff teams. I want to see it. Uh, I am going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Even though Kenny Pickett is healthy enough to play, they have decided that Mason Rudolph is the guy that they're going to go with on the road in Seattle. Did, did you find that decision a little bizarre? Yeah. I mean, you drafted him in the first round last year. Yeah. And I know it hasn't been good, but like it's not, he hasn't been like disaster level like type quarterback play, right? It's just been not very good at all. And and and, and this is from Mason Rudolph. Like well, I know they played well this last game, but like I'm not buying into that what that sample size. But that's that's what I'm saying. Is that, to me, there's a lot on the line, not even in terms of Pittsburgh making it as a wild card or not. Um it's more along the lines of the future of this team. Because if you're picking Mason Rudolph, who wasn't even active for most of the year, as your guy in a must-win road game over the only guy who was taken in the first round of the 2022 NFL draft as a quarterback, doesn't that say something about the future of your franchise? Well, to me, it's it's when these types of quarterback situations end up happening, right? Like where you pull a guy early. My, I, I don't question that maybe that decision in a vacuum, which with this one I do. Kenny Pickett's better than Mason Rudolph. Is why did you draft this guy in the first place? Because like to, to me, to draft a quarterback in the first round, you have, have to have a lot of conviction, and to get off of that, you have to. It has to take a lot. And it's like why? So why did you take Kenny Pickett in the first round if you didn't have a lot of conviction? Like this is the guy we really believe in what he's about. We're gonna build with him through struggles, and you're. You're throwing that all away, like it's, it's not like he got benched. He got, you know, he got injured. Like so, I don't, I don't understand how they've gotten to this so quickly. I will answer that question for you, because they were, they didn't have a quarterback plan when Ben Roethlisberger. Remember, for years, Roethlisberger walked that tightrope. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about retiring. Am I going to play? I mean, we all think that Aaron Rodgers loves attention. Ben Roethlisberger ate it up. Every year he would do that to the Steelers, right? And they couldn't pick a quarterback high. Why? Because they didn't want to hit hurt Benny's feelings. They didn't want to do that to him. I mean, we all remember when Mason Rudolph got picked. What what round did he get picked in? Third or fourth or whatever? And people were like, so Ben, are you, you going to help him out? And he's like, no. Now, that's the same thing that happened with a lot of guys. There's a lot of veteran quarterbacks that aren't going to help prepare their eventual replacement. I mean, that guy was so insecure about everything that he held the the franchise hostage. So by the time Ben was really done, well, th this is the year you got to go get somebody in the first round. You have to, whether or not he's he's a viable first-round pick. I mean, look what we've got. We don't have anything. We have to go get him now. And to me, like, for an organization like the Pittsburgh Steelers, like, that is, like, that's that's weird thinking for that's like, Hey, we are consistent. We, you know, we, we aren't going to overreact and fire everybody to me not being like, Hey, we'll, we'll eat it this year. Like we already paid Mitchell Trubisky, like the biggest backup quarterback contract. We'll let him. And they ended up letting him start that season anyways, for, you know, Kenny Pickett, who again, I Kenny Pickett, I think it's going to be like one of those bottom half top, you know, bottom half starters, mm -hmm. top half backups for a long time in the NFL is like it's like i just i will never understand not drafting a drafting a quarterback that you don't have a lot of 
belief in, right? Unless it's, hey, these one of these guys who has insane traits and it's like, hey, we got to work with him and be some patience. But that's not what Kenny Pickett ever was. So why did you Never. draft this cat in the first place? No, no. He had a very, very low ceiling and a very high floor for a first-round pick, right? You basically knew what you were getting when they drafted him out of pit. I suppose the other school of thought was do what the Packers did and put Jordan Love on layaway for years and have Aaron Rodgers bitch about that and not getting a wide receiver in the first round forever, right? Like that would, they were comparable situations. You saw what the Packers did. They had a guy sit on the bench for three years and then they trade Rodgers. Or you could do what Pittsburgh did, just wait until your quarterback says, yeah, no, this time I'm, I'm not joking. I'm really done. And now you're screwed and you have to go get somebody even if you don't love them. So that's that. The weather might be cooling down, but the action on the field stays hot. And today we've teamed up with DraftKings, an official partner of the NFL, to get you closer to the action. Right now, new customers who bet just $5 will get $150 in bonus bets instantly. So download the DraftKings app now and use promo code FOOTBALLTODAY. Fan of multiple teams and want to bet on them all? Combine multiple bets together for a shot and even bigger payout. If sports betting is not yet available in your state, not to worry. You can still join in all the fun with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. New customers use promo code FOOTBALL today. Bet just $5 on any wager and get $150 in bonus bets instantly. That's promo code FOOTBALL today. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You'll be glad you did. Um, last thing. Bigger story this weekend. To see if Baker Mayfield can lead the Bucks to a division crown with a win. Or if the Rams get a win over your Giants and get some help from Pittsburgh over Seattle, and then L.A. makes the postseason in a year where a lot of people thought they were going to be a bottom five team. To me, it's the Rams because, like, if if they make the playoffs, you can argue they have the best quarterback in the NFC, right? And when you have the best quarterback in the NFC, you have a top coach in the NFL and Sean McVay. You got a nice, you know, trio of weapons with, you know, Cup, Nakua, and Kyron Williams. And then you have, you know, the best defensive player in the twenty, you know, twenty-first century. Like you can you can start buying in a little bit. So to mm -hmm. me, it's it's about the not necessarily beating the Giants, because that'll be easy, but um, you know, like making sure they're in the playoffs. The um Look, somebody was going to win the NFC South. And although, and we've talked glowingly about Baker Mayfield, he's done a remarkable job and he's going to get a, a nine-figure bonus if they end up winning this weekend and taking that division. But somebody was going to win it, whether they end up eight and nine, nine and eight, whatever. That's fine. The Rams have been a remarkable story. And Matthew Stafford is playing great. In December, I think he's thrown 10 touchdowns and hasn't thrown a pick. Um, do you know who the last first-round pick of the L.A. Rams was? This is really going to bother me. I should know this. Let's see. Defensive line, no. Linebacker, no. Corner. I I don't know. I don't How know. How about this? He will be a starting Was it Todd Gurley? Nope. He will be a starting quarterback this weekend in the NFL. Oh, Jared Goff. Okay. 2016. That was the last first-round pick they made, right? They traded a bunch for Jalen Ramsey, and then they traded out of first rounds and gave up a bunch for Goff, and then they gave up a bunch for Stafford. And so they just haven't had one. And it doesn't mean that first-round picks are the end-all, be-all, because I really believe the crux of your team and the foundation of your team is built a little bit later on in that draft. Um, but they have knocked it out of the park in recent years, right? You talked about the two fifth-round picks in Puka Nakua and Kyron Williams, who have lit the world on fire offensively. 
But they've got some guys on defense that you don't know about. A Byron Young, who's a third-round rookie out of Tennessee. A Kobe mm-hmm. Turner, who is really developing on their front line. Another third-round pick out of Wake Forest. So they have guys that are are developing in front of their eyes. You mentioned McVay being a fantastic play caller. And I really thought that the I thought that the Rams were going to be like a, a bottom five or six team this year. I thought if Stafford would be healthy, the, kind of where where they are right now, hmm. right? Now the thing is Stafford's health has, you know, been an issue for a while, right? He's always been, even when he's played, he's been banged up in in Detroit. And when Stafford's not healthy, his play dips. Yes. Because he still has some of that he's still a gunslinger, right? And he, he you know, he's throw he throws a lot of interceptions historically in his career. I mean, the year they won the Super Bowl, he led the league in interceptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so when you're throwing those interceptions and maybe, you know, having five, six less points per game because of the injury, it leads to, leads to some losses. Uh, but th- this is kind of where I had, it was like the eight to nine wins. If Stafford could stay healthy, which he had, he actually got banged up in the middle of the season, I think. Right. Yeah. He, he missed the green Bay game with a thumb. So, so do you, do you think him or Jalen hurts is better? Basically like who's, who's the best QB in the NFC to you? Asking Stan. Uh, I think Hertz's legs are as important as any body part in the NFC among quarterbacks in the playoffs. Because if he's, you know, he had that little knee dinged up a few weeks ago. And if he doesn't give you that threat and that ability to get third and eight, give, go get nine yards, they're a different team. Um, so I think that that's more important. I know we're not talking about the Eagles, but you brought so you brought up Hurts. At what point does this this Eagles co- like coaching is hurting the Philadelphia Eagles this year, mm. right? Like, uh, you know, I listened to I was listening to uh, a Philly podcast because one of like one of the guys I really respect uh, was on it and talking about like they just like they're playing the Giants and Wink Martindale who blitzes a ton, right? And there's like they had no answers for like those all out blitzes, which is like, that's when you face those, that's what you need. You need quick, easy answers for that. And I watch AJ Brown, right? Cause our rookie first round corner, I'm like, Oh, he held him to like two catches until he mm-hmm. got left the game in the third quarter. They just ran curl routes. Like they ran like 20 curl routes with AJ Brown and, you know, through the first three quarters of that game, they're not like where last year, that's what made them so great offensively is that no matter what you did defensively, you had answers, right? If they blitz, we got answers for this. They drop back in a four deep zone. They just had answers for everything, and Jalen Hurts was running it perfectly. So I think Jalen Hurts is actually playing pretty well. He's not. He's, his accuracy struggled a little bit under pressure, mm-hmm. but they don't have all the answers on offense that they had. Which, like the the Rams are going to be well coached and ready for the playoffs. So I, I wonder, like, does anything switch with the Eagles? And their defensive issues are real too. We'll find out. I mean, I still think that they're going to end up being the two seed based on that schedule with the Cardinals and then your Giants to wrap it up. But yeah, they will be the two seed. It's just like I think an Eagles Rams playoff game would be like I would I would struggle on who to pick in that game. Yeah, I just don't don't know if you'll see that. I think the Rams will end up as the six seed. Yeah, we want we want Lions Rams obviously. Yeah, but... That would be that would be great. Well, uh, root for chaos. If you don't have a, a team that's still alive, go root for chaos because we want fun stuff that's going to unfold in week 18 as well. Enjoy the uh, – so wait, wait, you'll tune into the Giants-Rams game. You'll be – that's an early game on Sunday, right? One o'clock. One o'clock and then, and then we're 
we 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 finally hit the point of talking Giants where it's like, yeah, we are going to analyze. Like our preview pod, we didn't really talk about the Rams for this game, so we'll we'll Got talk it. about the game and everything in it. But we are we are we are transitioning towards the end of the season. Start focusing on that draft, brother. Exactly. I'll be there. All right, listen, everybody, uh, enjoy your football fandom. We will not do a show on New Year's Day. We're going to do one right after that. So enjoy your college football as well on Monday because that's going to be a blast, those two semifinal games. Uh, For producer Mikey and Bobby Skinner from the Talking Giants world, I am Chris Rose. Have a happy, healthy New Year from everybody here on Football Today.